Hello, welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. It's November the 29th. I'm Francesca Toey and joining me today is Professor Martin McKee from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine to discuss the fourth report of the Lancet Commission on Liver Disease in the UK. Thank you for joining us. Hello. So the Liver Disease Commission was first published in 2014 and this is the fourth report as part of the Lancet's campaign on liver disease. So for our listeners, Professor, please can you briefly summarise your role in this latest report? Well, I'm not an author in the report, but I have been a reviewer of it and I've attended several of the meetings of the uh, Commission to um, input into the discussions. So what are the main updates in this fourth and final report compared to the previous versions in the Commission? The situation with liver disease is constantly changing. So this report brings new data uh, into the public domain uh, and in particular new information in this report on alcohol dependence in the United Kingdom, on the damage that alcohol does to families and it has been looking at the impact of changes in taxation on alcohol. It also draws attention to the very wide geographical differences in outcomes and uh, shows the link to resources in the NHS in particular showing what has been described as the inverse care law where the poorest areas are least well supplied uh, with resources even though they have the uh, greatest needs. And finally, I think it importantly raises some major issues about the challenges of developing the medical workforce for the future. The Commission and some of the subsequent reports have focused on the effects of excess alcohol consumption, obesity and viral hepatitis on liver disease and we're going to talk about each of these aspects during the podcast. So first looking at alcohol, what are the hidden costs to the UK of excess alcohol consumption? The hidden costs of alcohol are the same as everywhere. The impact falls on the health services but also on social care and particularly with uh, an ageing population and Uh, high levels of alcohol consumption among middle-aged drinkers as well as the uh, younger people that we often associate it with. A major impact on lost productivity and clearly this is hugely important given that the British government has just launched a new productivity report uh, calling attention to how the country lags well behind that of uh, the situation in comparator countries. And it's estimated that the uh, low productivity associated with alcohol abuse accounts for about £7.3 billion every year. There's an impact on welfare because alcohol is a major contributor in family breakdown and has an an impact on, on children being brought up in families where there is an alcohol problem and there is the obvious link with crime. Uh, Crime, not just in the direct financial consequences of those people who lose things through theft or are injured through road traffic injuries or something like that, Um, but also in the way that it can actually blight areas that require investment if you have a high level of alcohol abuse in that area. One of the recommendations from the Commission and throughout the reports that they've been monitoring is introducing a minimum unit price for alcohol. And Scotland has finally now been allowed to put this into place. They've won the battle in the courts. What effect do you think that this minimum unit pricing verdict is going to have? Well, the research that has been done by the University of Sheffield is world-leading and uh, they have developed a very sophisticated model which looks at the potential impact. Their estimate is that over the next five years it could lead to about 1,100 fewer deaths in Scotland, about 74,000 fewer hospital admissions. 
It could save about £325 million in reduced healthcare costs and about £710 million in reduced crime. This is compatible with what we've seen in other countries where there have been changes, particularly British Columbia in uh, Canada, but also where there have been changes in price in alcohol, both um, reducing price leading to an increase in uh, adverse outcomes or raising prices leading to a reduction in them. So the model seems consistent with what we know from elsewhere, and this is going to be quite a major impact. Indeed, and it's quite positive that Ireland and also Wales are putting these into place in their public health bills. So hopefully England and maybe other countries around the world will start to follow. I think there's very little doubt that other countries will follow suit. I think what we will see is uh, the same that we saw with tobacco control when um, bans on smoking in public places and standardised packaging, plain packs, came in. Uh, Once people see the uh, success of these policies, then they replicate them uh, much more widely. And we probably, as with tobacco, will see three or four countries maybe following suit in the next year or two. But after that, I expect that it will take off. It is, of course, important to note that the situation in Scotland was slightly different from what it would be in other countries, because Scotland uh, has only very limited tax-raising powers. So while it's open to all governments to increase the level of taxation, on alcohol, uh, and in fact that had been the case in the United Kingdom more generally, the Scottish government was limited in what it could do. But uh, I think both minimum unit prices and uh, a generalised increase in alcohol taxation can play a very important role because we know that price is one of the major determinants of consumption. And it's quite interesting that you also mentioned the plain packaging that has been used in tobacco because it was mentioned in the editorial from the Lancet on the 18th of November that that might be the way forward. And in Canada, there's a little trial going on where it explicitly states that alcohol causes breast and colon cancer. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes on. Well, of course, the alcohol industry has behaved exactly like the tobacco industry in resisting measures that are known to be effective or likely to be effective in tackling the high burden of alcohol-related harm. So no doubt the industry will work very hard to subvert such a policy, continuing the way that it has done, for example, in its opposition to the labelling of alcohol with calorie content and prominent warnings and so on. So moving on to another aspect of the liver disease was obesity. What is the government doing to tackle obesity and what could it improve? The government has accepted the uh, policy of uh, introducing a uh, soft drinks levy and uh, we know that the soft drinks industry has been fighting very hard against any policies, again, working in exactly the same way as the tobacco industry. It knows what works and the evidence on soft drinks levies, on tax increases on uh, soft drinks is very clear. They work, providing that they're at a high enough level. So that, I think, has been one major contribution. I think what has been disappointing is that the uh, government still has a focus on informal agreements with the industry rather than recognising the need for regulation, with the exception of the soft drinks levy. So I think uh, looking much more at portion sizes and uh, pressure for reformulation uh, clearly has to be the next uh, area uh, that it works on. We've already seen some impact, in fact, with the soft drinks levy in that there has been some reformulation. The industry can reduce the calories in its products very easily if it wishes to, but uh, up until now it hasn't chosen to. Quite simply, we know that the same measures that work um, with tobacco work with alcohol and with calorie-dense food, with junk food. 
Uh, those are measures to tackle price availability and marketing. Uh, those are the mainstay of any effective comprehensive policy, and they should be at the centre of it. I think what's very important to recognise with all of these issues is that the policies that are promoted by the industries concerned, for example, in the now widely discredited public health responsibility deal in England, are those policies that are least effective, such as individualised measures like education and so on. Uh, those simply are either ineffective or in some cases counterproductive or of very limited effectiveness. So finally, to what extent are the issues highlighted in the Commission manageable and what could the NHS be doing better to meet the recommendations from the Commission, such as increasing the number of specialists in hepatology and the preventable issues highlighted, such as obesity, alcohol and viral hepatitis that we've already slightly touched upon? One of the um, challenges that the NHS faces is, as a consequence of the 2012 Health and Social Care Act in England, at any rate, is the separation of public health, and uh, it, of course, has become much weaker uh, as a result of that, as was predicted. Uh, so the opportunities that are open to the uh, NHS are somewhat more limited. Many of the issues that need to be addressed lie in other sectors, and in particular with the Treasury, for example. So there's a very strong argument for reintroducing the, uh, the above inflation escalator on alcohol prices. The measure that they have taken on increasing the tax on ciders, particularly the industrially produced white ciders, is certainly a good uh, move. But in terms of what the NHS can do itself, a clear issue is to look at the maldistribution of resources, the fact that there are fewest resources in the areas in much need. That's going to be extremely difficult given the very uh, difficult financial situation that it finds itself in. As uh, many people will know, the recent budget offered the NHS much less than it requires and it has been underfunded for quite a few years. So that is a challenge. But the second point, of course, is, as you mentioned, the need to look at the workforce for the future, train many more specialists in hepatology. There is likely to be a crisis there. And again, it is very clear that that is going to be exacerbated by other policies, in particular the United Kingdom's decision to leave the European Union, which will um, impact adversely on medical staffing more generally, uh, given that 10% of our doctors come from the rest of the EU. But uh, in specialised areas where there's a long lag period for training, this could have a particularly bad impact. The other area where there is much more that could be done is in increasing testing for hepatitis C because our levels of diagnosis are still lagging behind that of other countries. Thank you very much for speaking to us today. This commission is being discussed at the Royal Society of London this afternoon. Go have a read of this latest report and you can see how the eight main recommendations from the Commission are progressing and the improvements that still need to be made. But thank you very much again, Professor McKee. Thank you. And thank you all for listening.